This is the Press Box. He's just doing his own self-critique. He's just listening to these rejoins, oh, disgusted in his own voice, apparently. Yeah. The only thing I'm not disgusted is whacking that thing around, because it is me. With Grady and Bischoff. He literally, it's the exact same. It's, exact, it's the exact same. Thing. Ed was, a, was an actor at one point. He could make voices. <laughs> Child actor. On ESPN Las Vegas. Whacking that thing around. Here we go. ESPN Las Vegas. 100.9 FM. Got the low. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just to make sure. Just to make sure I didn't come in Uh, high. I don't know what I'm I'm coming on these microphones sometimes. (laughs) I'm going to get you worked. I'm going to get you worked up at some point. So you come in with a high voice that you complain about the next day. (laughs) Yeah. Just to say mock drafts. I'll just come in with like the high (laughs) voice. Did the. uh, How was the fiance with you breaking the news on the uh, radio yesterday? Is she okay with that? Of course. She was surprised I waited till Wednesday to do it. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. No one heard yesterday. You popped the question. She amazingly said yes, and we were all happy for you. Amazingly. Come come on. Come on. It was a (laughs) no-brainer. She will have a lot of time on her hands as you watch sports your entire life. (laughs) She likes to read and stuff. She'll be fine. She'll be good. The First Bite. Where will the Raiders finish in the AFC West? Boy, Raider fans are going to be mad, but I'm starting off with fourth. What are you starting off with? Oh, such a hater. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, man. Yeah, what a shock. What Jeez. a shock around this place. So Josh Dubow tweeted out yesterday, these are odds for each uh, place in the division the Raiders could finish, according to Bet Online. To finish fourth, they are plus 150. To finish third, they're plus 225. To finish second, they're plus 325. And to win the division, plus 500. Meaning, the most likely position they finish in the division is fourth. Uh, you obviously think that's right. They should be favored to finish fourth in the division over everybody else. Yeah. I mean, I, here's the thing. I, I still think good. I still think they can make a run at a playoff spot. If this makes sense, I think they're closer to third than they are second and first. I, I think there's a I think there's definitely a gap between the Chiefs and the Chargers to start, and then we go down, and I think it's the Broncos and the Raiders. And I can't I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know the rosters of every team, but I know the quarterbacks of every team, and I just think and then that, it's not a shot against Carr. I think Carr's a very good quarterback. I don't think there's any yeah. doubt about that. But I think the other three, you know, are better, and I'm just going to go with that for now. Like I said, I'm not going to tell you the defensive, you know backfield the entire defensive backfield of the broncos so take it for what it is but for what we know about some of the other teams i'm going fourth where are you going fourth best team fourth best quarterback ed graney such a hater today well man shock has david Carr blocked you yet he's gonna block you after no i haven't gotten blocked yet (laughs) if david Carr's listening to the show it's all an upset so so okay all right let me let me ask you this question on on first those two you say that are, are in the bottom the raiders and the Broncos. Do you believe Russell Wilson is the biggest difference maker coming into the AFC West? This I year? do, given the other three quarterbacks are have already been in the AFC West. And that's the primary reason that you would have the Broncos passing the Raiders this season. He'd be a major reason why okay. they would pass them. Okay. And you believe the Chargers have passed the Raiders as well. Is that well, I is just that... think I Go think ahead. Herbert's going to continue to get better and better, and I think Herbert is the second best quarterback in the in the conference right now. So, I just, my basis for all this is the quarterbacks, and that's probably you know 
ignorant to a point because there's the defenses, there's who who the skill positions are around them. But until I do more research and can tell you, like the you know, I think the Broncos have the real a really good defense, which I think can help them out finishing above the Raiders. Um, I I'll say fourth. And again, if you tell me, oh no, you're wrong, they're going to finish second, and they're going to you know going to make class, I wouldn't blink. That's how yeah. good I think the division is. So I, if you said that to me, you said nope, you're wrong, they're going to finish second, and they do, I'd be like okay. Yeah. Well, come on, you can't couch it. Come on, Ed. You said well, no, I'll say fourth. I'll say fourth. I'll say fourth, but I'm not going to be like on May blown 5th, away. You're a hater. You're a yeah. hater on well, May 5th. Well, there's no question. May 5th, <laughs> people would tell you this a lot before May 5th. Come on. <laughs> so I think this is how the division plays out. I I agree with you that there's a gap between the top two, the Chargers and the Chiefs, and the bottom two, the Raiders and the Broncos. And I don't think the top two and the bottom two are that far away from each other overall. I think the Broncos finished last in the AFC West. I think they're going to be significantly improved from last year because Russell Wilson is much better than – Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater, but I think Derek Carr is going to be better than Russell Wilson this okay. year. I am not a hundred percent convinced Russell Wilson is still that top, whatever he was for a few years, five, six, seven quarterback in the NFL. I think Carr's going to be a better quarterback. I think we look back and say Carr outplayed Russell do Wilson. You think Carr, you'd rather be- have him. Do you think that's because the people around Carr? No, I, I think Carr's just going to be better. I think. Russell Wilson has had some good seasons recently, but I'm just not 100% convinced that Russell Wilson is still one of those five or seven best guys. Because here's the thing: the chart, or excuse me, the Broncos have a pretty good roster, and offensively, right, they've got good running backs in Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. But like, I think Jerry Judy's going to have a pretty monster year mm-hmm. this year because Jerry Judy was picked in the first round. He's played. Drew Locke's probably thrown him the most passes of any quarterback so far in his career. And I I think any upgrade from Drew Locke is going to make Jerry Judy look really good. I just think Derek Carr is going to be better. I think the the season Derek Carr just had is going to be better than what Russell Wilson does in Denver this season. But I also think the Chargers win the division this year. I think the Chiefs have, I don't know if the Chiefs have taken a huge step backwards. I mean, obviously losing Tyreek Hill hurts, but I think they'll be fine without him but I think the Chargers defense has made enough improvements you add Khalil Mack Khalil you add Mack. JC Jackson yep. basically you add a premium edge rusher and one of the best corners that were available this offseason I think they've done enough defensively to take a big jump and like you I think Herbert's going to be really good for a long time that there's not going to be a massive difference between Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert so I, I think the Chargers win the division the Chiefs finish second, the Raiders third, and the Broncos fourth. And I don't think it's significantly a large margin any way around. I think it'll be a pretty close division. But I think that's the order of finish this season in the AFC West. Is Herbert that much better than Carr? I would take Herbert over Carr in an I would instant. Too. I would too. I d- but I'm not yeah, so sure. Yeah, he that, is. is he that much I better mean, than him? He's... He's better enough that I don't think you would think twice about taking Herbert over Carr. Like I, I, I just told, I just told you for two minutes, I'd take Derek Carr over Russell Wilson for this right, year. Right. But I'd think twice about it. Right. I'd, I'd be like, oh, maybe Russell Wilson. Like, I, there's some reservations to that. I wouldn't have any to taking Herbert over. No, Derek neither Carr. would I. Uh, and same with Mahomes, obviously. So, I think those two, those two quarterbacks are going to make those two teams the best in the AFC West, whereas the Raiders and Broncos are still going to be good, but they're just going to be missing that one yeah. extra 
level to their team. And that's the quarterback being, instead of being roughly the 10th best guy, the Chargers and Chiefs can say, hey, we've got like the third or better best guy in the AFC West. Here's, I think, what's what's interesting. If we look at the coaches here, which coach is in the most trouble if they finish last in the AFC West this year? I think Brandon Staley is. Do you think he could get fired if they finish last? They finish the last? I mean, if you're asking me which one is in the biggest danger, I don't know if any of them would be fired. But Hackett knew, McDaniels knew, and I just don't think Andy Reid is getting fired in Kansas City. So I have to go. I have to go with Brandon Staley. I'm not. I'm not saying he, you're saying who would be in the biggest danger, and I have to pick one. And they are like you said. I mean, some people might like you favor them to win the West, and there's going to be a lot of as usually as usual around the Chargers. There's a lot of hype, no matter what year it is, or no matter how good they are. But there'll be a lot of hype this year. What's it? Herbert's third year. Yeah, Herbert's third year, um, and, second with Staley. Okay, and they've uh, and they like you said they've added Cleo Mack and some big big names. I would say Brandon Staley. It is a fascinating division because all four teams project to be good. All four teams expect to be good, but it's very hard to have a division where four teams are good. Four teams make the playoffs. Somebody, at least one, and probably two, honestly, but at least one team is going to have a massively disappointing season. And like you said, for Josh McDaniels and Nathaniel Hackett, their first-year coaches, it's really hard to see them getting fired. I guess if one of them goes 1-16 in 16 right, or something right. crazy like that, then okay. But, you know, if they win seven or eight games and miss the playoffs, probably not getting fired, even though it would be a massive disappointment. Staley's the answer there. <sighs> Man, I, I have to imagine. I, I wonder how bad it would be, but I do think Brandon Staley could get fired after this year if they don't make it. Six, I mean, they went six and 11. Right. If they won six games or something like that, I do think there's a chance he would get fired. Yeah. Because if you're, if you're the Chargers, you've already, you've had Justin Herbert for two years on his rookie contract and you have not made the playoffs yet. You get five years of that rookie contract. And the fifth year, because of the fifth year option, it's not extremely cheap. It goes up quite a bit. By then, it might be even $30 million or something crazy like that. So it's not extremely cheap on that fifth year option, though it's cheaper than normal. They are running out of time to effectively cash in on Herbert on a rookie contract. Mm -hmm. So if they don't make the playoffs this year, you could see Staley gone. You could see Staley fired because you start to go into a, okay, we've got to be good right, right now, now situation. And you might be trying to find somebody else to come in yeah. and get it done. So I think he's the one that would be in the most danger. And it would be funny if Andy Reid got fired after one bad year. Yeah. Like well, of we everything, that's not going to happen. Of everything Kansas City's done, if they like won seven games, like, all right, we'll get rid of this no. guy. We'll see you later. But that's the interesting part. I am curious. We've talked so much about the Raiders and how – Derek Carr and Devontae Adams basically have one-year contracts with a team option for years two and three and beyond that. And we've talked a lot about how, you know, it'd be very, very, very unlikely for neither one of those guys to get picked up beyond year one, but it's possible. I would be fascinated to see how everyone, Mark Davis, would react to a Raiders team winning six games and finishing last in the AFC West this year. Like, is it just, okay, we, that was a bad year. We got to bring everything back. Or is that, wow, we thought we had a chance and we won six games. There've got to be some major changes around here. Am so I, I'd be, am I crazy I'd be to think if one of them would go, it'd be Carr? 
I don't think you're wrong. I think if if this team were to win six, six games. games, right? I, I don't think you're wrong because then if you're the Raiders, you've had what 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 is this going to be his ninth year? Yeah. You've had as an organization nine years with Carr, two playoff appearances, zero playoff wins, and this is presumably the best team that he that's ever been around Derek Carr. And if they were to win six, then yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong. I think that McDaniels and Ziggler say, hey, we gave it a shot with Carr. He's just not cut out for this. We've got to go find our quarterback to compete in this division. And isn't that why they gave one of the reasons they gave themselves the out? Right, I think so. Because they they know there is that possibility that they win six games this year. I mean, it, it's and also it's a realistic possibility for pretty much every team in the AFC West that right. you win six games right. playing each other twice. In the yes. yes, right. Like it's a real possibility for all of these teams. And if the Raiders are the ones that do it, I think yeah, you look around and say, okay, there's got to be some change. You can't win six games and then go into the next season with basically the same everything and say, hey, we got this, boys. But yeah, I think Carr would be the most likely one. And then if you're the Raiders, you're trying to find okay. Who do we slot in here? So that that to me is the interesting part is if they have that bad year, what sort of changes come? And I yeah. think it would be the quarterback situation. All I right, agree. coming up next, we'll jump into the NBA because all of a sudden we've got two boring series. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Coming up later in the show, we'll have more tickets to give away to go see Jerry Cantrell. Plus, Kevin Kruger is going to join us at 9 o'clock on UNLV's offseason. They've been busy and active in the transfer portal. But last night, a couple of NBA games. Two series are now 2-0 with the Suns beating Dallas and the Heat beating the 76ers. First on the, the Suns over Dallas. Is it how much do you enjoy Chris Paul taking over a fourth quarter? Because we've seen it a couple of times now, and I I find it very enjoyable when he just he'll have moments like five minute stretches where every possession he is just going to dribble around and dribble through your defense until you leave him open and then shoot from wherever you leave him open. Especially at his age, right? Yeah, it's, I mean that's it's, the cool thing. Yeah, and like he doesn't do it every game. Like it's not right. a it's it's not Chris Paul does a fourth quarter takeover every time. But it's happened like three times now in the postseason, and it's it's remarkable to me because he's not he's not even in a mode where he's really creating for teammates. He gets in this right. mode where he's just he's going to come off a ball screen, and if you leave a little bit of space, he's, he's going to take a fifteen foot mid range jumper. Yeah. If you don't really come to cut him off, he's just going to drive to the rim, and he'll say, "If all right, you're going to play back off, I'll just take the three and knock it down." It's Remarkable. And then you throw in Devin Booker. He drilled like two or three threes in a row in that stretch, too. And there's just no way you're beating the Suns when both of those guys are just unstoppable. What a fourth quarter by Phoenix. Oh, my God. I mean, that was like crazy. They were they were losing at halftime. They the the score was ninety nine ninety three with eight thirty to go. And Phoenix, like in an instant, had a 20 point lead. Yeah, like it was a six point game with eight and a half to go. Luca didn't play the last two minutes because the game got out of hand that quickly. Who? How far does this go? Five? I mean, I think Dallas can go home and get a win. I think they can go home and get one. But yeah, this they, thing's gonna. This thing, the way the first two games have gone. I mean, Luca's Luca, but I just. I mean, the Suns. This seems overmatched. They Dallas is not good enough defensively to defend Phoenix. 
that there's probably going to be a quarter or half a quarter every game. Where this ha- well, I don't know if this happens, but at least Phoenix goes on a run right. to take control. Right. And that, I think, makes it really hard to win a game. Like, Dallas is going to have to have a game where either, A, they knock down, you know, 48% of their threes and hit 20 of them, or Phoenix hits, like, 8% of their threes, right? right? Or has, they like, 10 something. turnovers in the first, like they did in the first half, and that's why they were down. Like, have 20 right. turnovers for a game. Right. So they're going to have to have a, a big outlier, which happens. I mean, we, we've seen it. The Boston Celtics just hit basically every th- three they threw at the basket in game two. So, like, it happens. There's these massive outlier games, but it's hard to see more than really one of those happening. So five is probably the number there. And we look around and, and say, by the way, is that a is that a successful season for Dallas? They won their first postseason um, series since the Dirk won yeah. the NBA title. They got the four seed. They won 50 games, but like you watch them play right now. And you know, there's, and Luca does what he said, like I said, and you watch them play right now and you kind of think it is a successful season (laughs) because you're like, they don't really have anything. So how did they get the four seed? Yeah. Like it, it feels like they had a good year, but it also feels like they're so far away from being a legitimate title contender that it's kind of hard to say, yep. Good season guys. I, I don't know. Like, it wasn't a bad season, but it's just when you if they if they end up losing in four or five to Phoenix and they have multiple games where they lose by twenty again, it's just hard to look around and say, yeah, that good job Dallas, right. even though it's the best season Dallas has had in basically a decade, right? So I don't know. It's hard to evaluate that if you're so far away, despite having what most would consider a solid season. Now, the other game last night. Uh, the Heat beat the Sixers, 119-103. That's now a 2-0 series lead. Joel Embiid is possibly back in Game 3. They're already down 2 nothing. Is Embiid good enough that Philly could win 4 or 5 in that series in advance? I guess it depends how his injury is. But if he could come back, I'd come back for Game 3 just to see. I mean, if it was 3-0, no, I wouldn't come back. But if it was, it's 2-0, they're, they're going home. And if you can play game three, I would play game three just to see. Now, obviously, if they lose, then you probably shut them down if the injury's too bad. But I, I think he should try, if he's able to, not if he's completely hurt um, with that fracture, uh, I think he should come back and try to play game three. And if he does, and he's good enough, and they win game three, then they're back in it. Yeah, I mean, if they if he's back and, and they win game three and, and now back. it's 2-1, right? You're you're playing game four with right. one of the best players in the league on your team for a chance to tie the series at home. So if he's able to come back in game three and they can win that one, then now you've, you've got a legitimate shot. But I we talk about this all the time. He comes back. How What is he? 80%? Right. 90%? Like, what, what level of Joel Embiid are you getting? You might get awesome Joel Embiid but you also might get well he can be awesome for 12 minutes and then the other 20 that he's out there he's just not as good because he's got a fractured face yeah I'm so some some injuries just sound bad and you know it's a back injury or a fractured face where you're like that doesn't sound very good it's not like he like Devin Booker did a hamstring you're like well maybe he can come back with a lot of treatment uh I assume he'll have a mask on a protective mask I don't know what that will do with him um I would think he would uh so We'll see. Like I said, if if he can play in Game Three, then and they win, you keep going on, and and he continues to play. But obviously, there'd be a decision to make if he's not 100 percent and they lose Game Three, and that's probably that. You know what I found fascinating last night? The 76ers over the course of four years, when they were uh, trusting the process, 
they won an average of 18.8 games over four years. They had three straight years where they were under 20 wins. And they walked out of there with a whole bunch of top three picks in the NBA draft, right? They get acquire the talent and tank and try to be good in the future. They only got one good player out of that entire process because with those four high picks, they drafted Joel Embiid. They got the one. But Jaleel Okafor, Markel Fultz, and Ben Simmons were the other three guys they drafted with those top picks. That's a terrible return. And Ben Simmons, granted, was on the team up until the trade deadline, right? They managed to get James Harden for him, so you could kind of say James Harden was a part of that that whole tanking process. But Harden hasn't been very good either. They're not getting really star-level play from James Harden. He is not the James Harden that we saw in Houston two or three years ago. And you look back at it, and specifically the Celtics, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, the, the Celtics both picked number three overall in their drafts. The Sixers picked before them in both of those drafts. So maybe the best team in the East this year in Boston their big two, their best two players were guys that the Sixers could have had if they had drafted yeah. better. But instead, they took Okafor, Fultz, and Simmons. And you look around and say, they got Embiid, and it's not like they've been awful. Like they're like the Sacramento Kings have been bad forever. There are teams that have been bad and just haven't gotten good. So it's not like the Sixers have been terrible. But they did not build a championship well, contender because they whiffed on so many high picks. It shows you how good Embiid is and also... If they averaged 18.8 and the process failed, for them to come all the way back, it's almost a surprise, isn't it, that they've come this far back? Well, no, I mean, I guess. But, but I mean, yeah, yes, when you fail on three of them, yes, it is. And they did, like, they they drafted Tyrese Maxey a couple years ago, and he was like a pick. He was a pick in the 20s or something like that. And he's been better than every guy they got in the top five outside of Joel Embiid. So you said and, before and, the series that Harden had to be a star. He hasn't been a star. Maxie's been their best right. player. Maxie's been great. So like if you if you look back at the at the 76ers, if they hit on one more of those, right? They got Joel Embiid. If they hit on Fultz, Okafor, or Simmons, right? Or if they take a different player than one of those three guys. Like Tatum. Right? Then, right. Imagine if they had taken Jason Tatum. <laughs> and we're talking about a team that has Tatum, Embiid, and Maxi on it. Yep. That's the NBA champion. Right. I mean, that's that's what we're I mean, well, Embiid's hurt. So maybe they are still losing because of that. But that's the NBA champion Tatum, Embiid and Maxi. That, yeah. That's probably the team that wins the NBA title, which I, you know, well, they're not down the 2-0. Yeah. If you're the Sixers, you're kind of you, you blew the process kind of didn't work. I mean, it, it got you Joel Embiid, but it should have gotten you at least a second star. And is, is Jaleel Okafor even in the league? I don't know if he's around. Yeah, uh, Fultz is, I think, in Orlando, and Ben Simmons, will he ever play again? We'll find out. But, like, they, they, they kind of blew it in that sense, where they could very easily have had a title contender, and they simply do not, because Okafor, Fultz, and Simmons didn't work out. Jaleel Coming up next. Jaleel Okafor, by the way, Chinese Basketball Association. All right, and there you go. Probably trust the process in China. That's where it'll work. <laughs> Mike Gravala joins the show. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Joining us now from the Las Vegas Sun is Mike Gramala. Good morning, Mike. Are the Celtics going to win the NBA title? I think so, in my opinion. (laughs) What a homer. What a homer. unbiased division. What a homer. You've changed greatly after game one now that they've won a game in this series. 
Yeah, who's going to stop them? What we saw <laughs> in game two. Who's going to stop that? No one, right? I mean, I don't think they're going to shoot 48% from three the rest of the way. Uh, Considering the quality of shots they were getting, I wouldn't be surprised if they shot that well for the rest of the series, though, against Milwaukee. That's kind of what Milwaukee does. That's kind of what Milwaukee does. Didn't work in game one, though. They shot like 8% from three. But if you go back to the regular season matchups as well, the outlier is game one, not game two. That's if you're, if you're tuning in for my NBA analysis. How come you didn't tell me this after after game one? You were all concerned they were going to lose the series. Because I'm not an I'm not an NBA analyst. I'm an NBA fan. And that's what that's what fans do. Okay, give us some UNLV basketball analysis here. Is Donovan Williams going to come back? You know. At first, I when he first declared, I kind of thought he was, but now I think uh, I think he uh, he's leaning probably towards the NBA. It's just my reading of the situation. What what would what would have him do? I know they all get evaluations, and I know whether it's GMs or whoever say, "Hey, this is what we think of you." Um, am I wrong to think that evaluation would say, "Shouldn't you go back?" Maybe, but there's so it, it's it's not like you're going to get one concrete evaluation it's you're you're hearing from multiple teams you're working out for different teams um your agents are in touch with a lot of people around the league and you know i did a story with uh on donovan williams a couple weeks ago where i just sort of checked in with him and you know how's draft process going and all that and uh, i asked him you know what would it take for you to stay in the draft and his answer you know is he said you know if i hear from you know NBA teams that I might be a first round or a second round pick, like that's something that would entice me to stay in the draft. And to me, that seems like a pretty low threshold. If it, if you can get a team to tell you that you might be a second round pick, I think that's to me. Now this is me just reading uh, between the lines, but to me it seems like he just wants to, you know, he'll he'll hear what he wants to hear in terms of that feedback. So. That's what's got me leaning towards. You can find one team to tell you they're interested in you in the second round. And if that's all you need to hear to, to validate your own internal opinion of yourself, um, then I think he's gone. So if he doesn't come back, uh, who's the leading scorer for this team? That's a good question. Uh, they, it's sort of like last year where they've got a bunch of guys coming in who are not proven offensive players. Elijah Harkless is a 10-point-per-game scorer at Oklahoma, so, I mean, he's probably your leading candidate there. But it's uh, it's kind of like last year where they're relying on the, the coaching staff scouting report of these guys who don't have track records of being proven scorers. They haven't shot the ball well in college, but these, the coaches see something in them to project forward, saying, like, hey, Don Williams shot 20% at Texas, but we see the tools, and we think he can be a good player at UNLV, and then they develop him into that. Um, but, yeah, there's if Donovan Williams leaves, Elijah Harkless is a, a guy who can give you some points. But beyond that, you're kind of just relying on development and so you're hoping that some of these guys hit. So, as a whole, when you look at it, it just seems like, as Tyler just said, we everything we hear and we read uh, from you is the first thing we read a lot about is their defense, defensive, you know, all defense, defensive player of the year. Did you think this is the way he was going to go in the portal? And we've compared them to San Diego state where he said, that's kind of the um, measuring stick. And we know what San Diego state's about. 
Is this a way to combat that, to get a bunch of defensive players and try to play 62-58? to 58? I think so. I mean, I think that's their, their quickest path to contention is to just be a really, really good defensive team. And, be you know, if San Diego State's going to be the number one defensive team every, league, every year in the league, then you want to be 1A or 1B or number two. And, like, that's, like, you can make up more ground on the defensive end than you can maybe trying to uh, lure offensive stars to UNLV at this point just because um, they, they've they tried to recruit a couple of those types and they just haven't gotten much traction. Um, guys who are proven scorers, I did think that they may be able to score one or two, one of those guys um, this year, but um, guys, there's – the, the portal is so hot, and the, the, the competition is so tough for those those players. That if you're coming from a, another conference and you're an 18 point per game scorer, everyone in the country wants you. So it's it's. Uh, but if you're a first team all defense, you know six foot three guard, there's not quite as much competition. So it's like you can maybe work on you can stack up those guys, which they have. Like, if you look at down, up and down their roster, they've got just a ton of really good defensive players, um, but you can't get, you can't bring in six uh, proven 15-point-per-game scorers. So defense first, that's what Kruger wants to be anyways. That Those are the players they can get right now. Um, I think that's what the team is going to look like next year. You're just going to have pretty much, you're going to have standout defenders at every position. You're going to have standout defenders coming off the bench. They're going to try and make life miserable for the opposing teams, and they think that can make them San Diego State East, and that's kind of the plan for now. All right, it's May 5th. I'm not even going to ask you to tell me if they're going to go to the NCAA tournament. Just tell me this. At some point in February, will we be having a conversation about UNLV's net ranking and if it's good enough to go to the NCAA tournament? Yes. Hey, that would be fun. That would be fun. Yes, we have to, right? I'm, this is just me taking a lot of the, the on the side of probability, <laughs> right? It's because if it's every year is next year, then it has to happen at some point, <laughs> right? I would hope so, but you know, please, please reassure me. I I have no reassurance. Oh, you're not, you. you're going down the wrong I, road there. <laughs> I've been here for this will be eight seasons of UNLV basketball, and not one time has there been a legitimate NCA bubble talk in February about this team. Mm, yeah, no, and I I know that, but see, I I guess this is where we're, we differ. I'm a glass half full kind of guy, where I'm saying like, you know, it's been ten years, it's bound to happen, and it's going to happen this year think it hasn't happened yet so it's never going to happen have you been able to decipher whether or not they've been hurt or it doesn't matter on nil i mean every day you see and look they're not going to compete with power fives i get that but i do think these nils are hurting teams in the transfer portal that are uh group of five teams and and non-power fives that just can't compete dollar wise do you think that's happening with mountain west schools well the, the interesting thing about the the nil um i think is that yeah, there may be some inherent advantage to a Power 5 school, but it only takes one extremely rich or wealthy business or booster or someone who wants to throw money around the program. Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, that the richest programs don't necessarily have, like, the richest boosters, if, if that makes sense. Like, if, but UNLV doesn't have that guy. Like, it's not a... They, their boost, their uh, crew of boosters is not very impressive from a, like a 
financial standpoint. So, yeah, they, they're not a team that's going to be throwing around uh, big NIL deals to lure people here. Um, so that's it's not really an advantage for UNLV compared to even, like, the rest of the Mountain West. Like, the, I don't think UNLV, any of the deals that we've seen so far for them stand out from anything else that we've seen in the league. So, um, yeah, I, I would say... It's it's an untapped uh, potential for UNLV if they can find someone to support the program in that way. Who's the best quarterback on UNLV's football roster? Uh, just looking, I, I would say Harrison Bailey, but he's got a long way to go to pass two guys on the depth chart that are ahead of him: <laughs> Doug Brumfield and Cameron Friel. Was that Does he on need purpose? To go though? in the transfer portal to to pass them. <laughs> That seems to be the quickest way to move up the UNLV depth chart <laughs> at quarterback. You go in the portal, you come back, you're the co-starter. No, um, I would not put much stock into. I know uh, they put out, they released their post-spring depth chart. Bailey was third. Freel and Brumfield were co-starters, but I would not put a lot of stock in that. Yeah, was that on purpose for whatever reason? I think that's just the way to, if you want competition at quarterback, the best way to prolong it and to keep everyone's fire stoked is to order them that way. Because if you come out of spring and Arroyo puts Harrison Bailey at number one on the depth chart, then the competition's over. And those, and those other two guys may feel like, oh, that's, that's it. Like, I don't have a chance anymore. But if you want everyone to continue fighting through training camp, uh, which is still, you know, you've got a long way to go to the start of the season. If you want everyone's best from now until then, maybe a Royal thinks the best way to get that is to put the presumed favorite at the bottom and give those other two guys a chance to believe, like, hey, I know they recruited this guy in over us to hand him that job, but, hey, look, I'm on top of the depth chart. If I keep playing well, maybe I can steal this job. So I think maybe that's the best way to keep everyone engaged in that competition. Just you told me. You told me recently you tried coffee for the first time. What did you have, and how was it? I did. I uh, I went to Seattle for uh, a trip, and since that's like a big Seattle thing, I was like, let me try some coffee. That'll be authentic. <laughs> big so Seattle. I went to the coffee shop, and my friend ordered for me because they know, you know how I am. So the order ended up being it was a vanilla latte with double syrup, extra sugar, <laughs> and half of the normal espresso shot. <laughs> and it wasn't bad. Like, I get and it was, uh, I could see why people like it. I could see why coffee is such a big deal to people and why they drink it all day long. So um, I, I didn't immediately hate it. I, I imagine if I drank it more often, I would acquire a taste for it. But uh, I don't know. Maybe that might be an only in Seattle kind of thing for me. Double syrup, me, extra sugar. It, Isn't the it, it, syrup it, just sugar? I'm just not sure you had coffee. <laughs> it definitely was. It, 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 it was. it was sweet, but it definitely had like that coffee, or what I imagined to be that coffee kind of <laughs> bitter aftertaste, you know? Right? Uh, you might, you might as well throw a frappuccino like in there or something. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Mike, we're not sure if you've actually had coffee or not yet. He's Mike Gravala from the Las Vegas Sun. Mike, we appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, guys. Uh, I don't know so if that was you rate, coffee. It isn't the, the syrup, extra yeah. syrup is just sugar, right? Yes. Like that's just and, adding more sugar. And to he it. added sugar as well. 
Yeah. So there are two so... levels of sugar. <laughs> it sounded like that was more of a dessert than a coffee. Yes. <laughs> Probably. Probably. I mean, listen, I remember the first time that I had coffee and was like, oh, this was good, was in a Spanish class. And our teacher made something. She was like, ah, oh, they make this in Mexico. And there was ice cream in it. And ah. I was like, well, yeah, this is delicious. There's ice cream in it. So, of course, it's good. But I don't think that was actually coffee either. That was dessert disguised as coffee. So, I think that's what my Do you still have coffee? I should ask if there's ice cream. Do I still have coffee? Yeah. No, I don't really I don't, no. I don't drink coffee. No. Like, oh, I've. I've probably had coffee once or twice this year, but I don't actually drink coffee. I don't find it to be good enough to spend money on and actually drink the whole thing. I'm just going to drink a soda at six in the morning instead. Sure. You know that. Sure. Come on. That's a way better idea for me. All right. Coming up next, we'll jump into some baseball because what the hell happened to Madison Bumgarner yesterday? It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Yesterday in baseball, we had a very strange ejection madison bumgarner of the diamondbacks pitched one inning and then got ejected following the check for foreign substances on his hand so if you've watched a baseball game this year they are checking pitchers for foreign substances and the way they do it is after an inning the, pit, the umpire comes over to the pitcher and just just briefly rubs his hand just to see if there's anything on his fingers that would have been an illegal substance so that he's not getting a better grip on the baseball. If you remember last year, they were checking the glove and the hat and the belt. This year, they just decided we're just going to check the guy's hand and see if there's anything there. Well, for some reason, Dan Bellino is the umpire that did this check. Uh, he like held Madison Bumgarner's hand for seven, eight seconds never looked at his hand and was staring directly into the face of Madison Bumgarner, never even looked down at Madison Bumgarner's hand, just stared directly into Madison Bumgarner's eyes. And eventually Bumgarner was like looking around saying, what are you doing, dude? Because normally these are like a two second thing. And Bumgarner pulled away and then started yelling and ultimately got ejected for what the umpires claimed was yelling profanity at an umpire. What the hell was this? I think this is 100% on this umpire. I think he should be, I don't know, sanctions the wrong word, or suspended for doing this. He was mad, apparently, because Bumgardner was pissed at calls on balls and strikes. But this guy staring him down like this and playing with his hand, I think it's completely egregious. That is a joke that he did that. Check the hand and move on. What's, what's okay, is this the first guy who's argued balls and strikes as a pitcher or <laughs> made, made some kind of face or, or said something? This is totally on the umpire. Stare down? What What the hell do you think you're doing? Check the hand. That's not your job to stare him out. Now, if he continues to talk and yap and starts dropping you um, profanity, then throw him out. But, I mean, if he's coming off the field and he was, he was mad at balls and strikes and you check his hand, you check his hand and let him go. Yeah, this is just I, a weird umpire. This And the stare down was bizarre, actually. As he's stroking the guy's hand, this was very strange. Right, and like if you're Bumgarner, you're you you can see it in the video. Bumgarner sort of is like looking down, looking up, being yeah. like, "What? What are you what doing? What the hell is going on right now?" Because again, if you if you haven't seen any of these in baseball this year, they're legitimately like two seconds, if right? That, the pitcher, if that. right? The pitcher walks up, throws his hand to one of the umpires. The umpire looks at it, then sort of grabs his fingers to see is there anything here. Okay, you're good to go. This was a solid, like, eight seconds. And and again, the umpire, Dan Bellino, did not look at Madison Bumgarner's hand. 
the entire no. time no. he is staring at Madison giving Bumgarner's him a stare down face. like like they're in a, about to fight the next night in a boxing match it's unbelievable like what the hell was he doing i i'm a hundred percent with you like the umpire's got to be somehow punished, yes. right? Somehow a, I don't know, do they suspend umpires? Whatever they do, because he he basically baited Madison Bumgarner into an ejection. Yes, he walked absolutely. into that wanting to eject Madison Bumgarner and had to, like, force Bumgarner into doing something, and he decided he was going to massage his hand for 10 seconds. I've never seen anything like that where an umpire tries to, like you said, bait a guy like this and the way he did it and 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 checking the hand is the way he did it. but the stare down i mean who do you think yeah. you are like i guess i've seen umpires stare into a well dugout stare into dugouts when guys because, are yapping about balls yeah. and strikes and stuff yeah exactly but not like two feet away from someone unless they're like jawing at each other <laughs> but this was a very weird situation i mean what if Bumgarner would have just pulled his hand away i don't yeah i don't away. know so what are you I, doing i which he, I guess he would have ejected him for trying yeah. to hide an illegal right. substance. I, Again, the entire video makes it look like the umpire was trying to eject Madison, but was trying to get Bumgarner to do something that was ejection worthy. And he got it. And Bumgarner got ejected after one inning for arguing, what, one call in yeah, the first he called, inning or he called something like, like a, that? He argued like a ball and strike or something. Uh, I don't know what he argued. Whatever. Umpires are dumb. Adam Candy's going to have to defend him tomorrow.